Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I, I mentioned this before that the sameness of the days are starting to get to me, especially as winter sets in. Yeah. Uh, it's like Groundhog Day. Yeah. It really is. And uh, just the kind of the tedium of of this uh lockdown existence and it's not even locked down in alberta is the no. truth like there's lots you can do but nonetheless it's starting to grade on me a little bit how about you well it's hockey season without any hockey there's know? minor hockey i guess there's minor yeah. hockey so uh, my daughter's team starting up and okay well that's good yeah so there is that how are you doing uh by and large all right had a furnace issue this morning that uh, needed quick resolution. Now we're getting, dipping down into the minuses. The furnace kicked in and it did, one of them did, and the other one didn't. So we had to uh, get that dealt with, and uh, away we go. I have had a furnace cock out on a 30, 30 below day, and That's there true. is no more welcome person in your house than the furnace repairman on on that particular day like he just talk about an essential service mm-hmm. all right bruce there's um some hockey news we're all we're always about the business and the cult of hockey not so much about the chit chat so let's get to the hockey um there's a possible signing that our colleague kurt levens the cult of hockey's hockey insider we've got our own hockey insider mm-hmm. and kurt he actually really is good at these uh this rumors thing very well connected, and he had a rumor about Madison. The orders may be looking at signing Madison Bowie, 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 mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. Bowie, and um, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about scary contracts. How many of the orders have? Who's got the scariest contracts in the NHL? And if the orders can avoid them going forward, we'll talk about iffy contracts, and we'll talk a little bit about. Um, well, when we talk about the Bo- the Bowie thing. We'll be talking about your latest post where you're looking at the depth on the Oilers uh, defense and what it means for this coming season. And we'll talk about the, finally we'll end off with a little discussion about the coming season, the Canadian division. So Bruce, um, what did you make of the Oilers, of Kurt's uh, notion of the Oilers signing Madison Bowie? I think he's about 25 now. He, the one thing I liked about it was he, I think he played, what was it, 47 games last year? 53 games. 53 games last year. And the Oilers, in order to protect themselves coming into the expansion draft, need to have a defenseman who's played. Do you know what they, off the top of your head the stipulation is? Yeah, they need to be under contract. They need to have played either 40 games in the most recent season or 70 games in the previous two seasons. And that will be prorated somewhat due to... Uh, to uh, COVID. So Madison Bowie, for instance, played 53 of 71 games this past year. So that would prorate to somewhere north of 60. So if he were to be signed uh, and played even, you know, 10 games this year, he would qualify as long as he was still under contract for next year. So So they got to sign him to a two-year deal. Either sign him to a two-year deal or sign him to a one-year deal and then sign him to an extension during the season, I think would accomplish the same thing. But... He needs to prove he's. What are worth your thoughts? What are your thoughts on him? Uh, on the idea of, of signing him? 
I'm kind of betwixt in between. I mean, he scored 17 points in 53 games last year, which isn't terrible. Uh, he played just under 18 minutes a night for a, what was a terrible Detroit team, and he was part of the terribleness. I, I, that's one of the things that, you know, concerns me a little bit. Uh, minus Cam, 16, Cam Barker? Minus 16 in that time, yeah. He got caved uh, by possession numbers, and, and uh, I want to dig a little bit deeper into this guy before I write a post on him, but uh, uh, first dig show you know suggests that he's not a great defensive player and that's obviously concerning and the other thing that's a little bit concerning to me is that ken holland going back to the well in detroit over and over again oh the sweet tooth yeah well sweet tooth for what i mean last year he brought in last year he brought in uh thomas Yurchol, detroit guy who played 10 games. He brought in Riley Shane, who at least was decent on the penalty kill, but got caved at even strength. I mean, he at least made the team and contributed in some ways. And then at the the trade deadline, trade deadline, he went after Mike Green. He went after Andreas Athanasiu. Both those guys bombed for, you know, various reasons. But, I mean, both trades went sideways. And, you know, it'd be nice to get somebody who's actually going to pay off. Or else, maybe start looking and shopping in a different aisle. So could be, I, could I, be worse, Bruce. It mm-hmm. could be he's coming from a really good team, and the free and he sign, would sign a, a 28 28 year old free agent to a huge, massive contract, franchise killing contract, like Shirelli did with Milan Lucic. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Yeah, I I agree. This the sweet tooth for old players. I mean, God, this mm-hmm. is it's we we saw it with Shirelli. Um, it's just they, they seem to put this added value on anyone they know. They know. And is that as you know, we saw it I think with the, the drafting of the Oilers in the um in the Stu McGregor era, kind of this Western hockey league, a little bit of a Western hockey league bias towards player this players they know. Does it does it work out? Is that a good idea or is that a you know and it's funny with, with Matt Jim Matheson's tweets, it's he, he knows the way the mind of the NHL works. And he'll often put like the Oilers are interested in so and so player. He was he's the nephew of former Oiler so and so, or he played for Oilers assistant coach so and so here. So they always they always have they, they in terms yeah. of how the NHL looks at things. The you know the two hundred hockey men. They that this does seem to be a constant. I wonder if it happens in every. Well, NHL that's what city. I was going to suggest. There's be some of that. I mean. Uh, knowing someone is, uh, you know, a foot in the door in almost any industry to some extent. Yes. And so, you know, I mean, some of it's natural. You know that you're going to, you want, you're going to want some intel on the guy, and somebody somewhere in the organization might know something about him. But um, it, it's uh, becoming, to me, a little bit, little bit concerning in terms of the. Uh, uh, I mean, Detroit was such an awful team last year. Like, they're one of the worst teams we've seen in the last 10 years. Yes. And, you know, just just way, 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 way out in last place. And, I mean, they're they're rebuilding, obviously, but I'm just not sure that we're uh, seeing much, much benefit from this inside connection to these guys. Like I say, if, if one or two of these guys actually paid off, it might... Uh, might be a little bit different, and I, I probably should give Riley Shane sort of half marks for, you know, at least coming in and making the team and 
and making some contributions. And well, there's also and, Mike Smith, right, with the uh, Tippett. Mm-hmm. Is there any other Tippett? Uh, well, there's the Ekman Larson Dalliance, uh, which we thankfully avoided the overpay on uh, Ekman Larson. Thank goodness he didn't want to come here because um, I worry that we might have actually made that overpay to bring him in, like which isn't just taking on his contract, which is an iffy contract. It would right. be giving up a first pick or something like that as well, which I just think, like Vancouver and Boston were smart just to stay the hell away from that idea. Yeah, well, Nate available for a third round draft pick. So I, all this talk about all this riches that uh, Arizona wanted for Ekman Larson, I think getting rid of the contract was number one on their list of things to do. And uh, he and his agent put paid to that when their deadline came and went and they said all right we're staying we're staying so just just imagine bruce if we had given up a first pick for ekman larson and then vancouver gotten schmidt for a third pick i mean there's just no doubt when you look at the at least when you do just a cursory analysis of the numbers you know mm-hmm. points time on ice the coaches in vegas which was a better team than arizona trusted nate schmidt more than the coaches in arizona trusted ekman larson and nate schmidt did better in terms of his offensive puck moving last two years than Ekman Larson did. And it's not, it's not that close. Like there, there, there are 30 players separating them in, in terms of those two things. So if we, if, you know, anyway, we don't know how far along I'm, I, I shouldn't catastrophize about something that didn't happen, but way less to. money for shorter term too. Like there was a lot of reasons to prefer. Schmidt. Oh yeah. Yeah. So here's my Madison Bowie take Bruce is okay. uh, what could go wrong with signing one of the worst defensemen on one of the worst hockey teams in the NHL last year. Like, what's not to like about that? On the other hand, on the other hand as a um, longtime Oilers fan, I, I have it deeply embedded in my, kind of my, uh, you know, the narrative of the team that sometimes you bring in these 25-year-old defensemen who have kind of cast about uh, on other teams, haven't been able to break in, played a lot in the AHL, played a lot of hockey, and some of them, when they hit about the age 25, they finally figure it out. They finally figure out how to be NHL defensemen. We saw it way back in the day with Craig Muni. We saw it more recently with Steve Steos. And that's probably the last time we've seen it, right? So we've seen it at least twice. Have we seen it more than that? Jason Smith, would he Jason qualify? Smith. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So got, is there other others for... on that list of, of defensemen who have figured it out finally about the age 25? They kind of figure, okay, I can't. I'm not Bobby Orr, I'm not Paul Coffey, I'm not even, you know, I'm not even uh, Sergei Zubov. i got to just play a very simple game. And uh, I can maybe get by in the NHL by moving the puck fast, keep my head up, and taking the body. Have we seen it more than that? Well, I mean, we've seen it internally. Ladislav Smeed, I think he was 24 when he finally figured out that he needed to do something about that backdoor play, you know. But oftentimes you see a guy trade, exchange teams before he actually takes that next step, as as in the three guys you mentioned, uh, Muni, Smith, and uh, and Steos. And I'm I'm sure there's a couple more if we uh, if we uh, plumb the depth a little further. And we've certainly seen a couple like that go the other way. Uh, I think of uh, still think remember sadly Dave Langevin. Oh well, that was we. Yeah, went in the expansion draft around just around that age, and went from a, a you know a, a strapping young guy with warts in his game to a four-time Stanley Cup champion just like that. The, the Oilers are more likely to have lost 
that that player this year in Matt Benning, you know, the guy who's suddenly going to yeah. become the dependable player, then they're, they're going to find him in Madison Bowie. I would say that. Now, Madison Bowie was a hell of a prospect at one time. He was a very good junior player. He's big. He can skate. Um, you know, so it's probably just his reading of the game, his, his understanding of hockey, because uh, he was kind of a toolsy player, right? Yeah. So we'll see. Um, we'll mm-hmm. see if he can, you know, he, he'll either be Cam Barker or, you know, it, it, what are the chances? He's 75%, 80% likely to turn out to be Cam Barker, but he's 20% likely maybe to be um, Steve Stales. So, so those are the odds. One in five chance, maybe. Yeah, odds are against it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Odds maybe not even 80%. Maybe not like 80% chance of failure. Maybe it's higher than that. But, you know, I, I in principle, this kind of signing I like, the 25-year-old defenseman on a minimum contract, in principle, bring it. You know, if you can sign two or the, two or these guys. Who's the guy they just signed in the minors again? What's his name? Um, the defenseman that they lost oh, last year? Stanton. Listen, he's a really good hockey player. And is it Stanton or Shannon? Is it Stanton? Stanton. Um, Stanton. Ryan Stanton. Ryan Stanton. Listen, he's a really good hockey player. And I don't, was it an NHL? Did he get a two-way? Because that oh, guy. Can, he got an AHL contract. Okay. I don't know if you can change that in mid-season or not. Maybe you can. If you, well, I think yeah, you but, can. Yeah. If Listen, if the owners are desperate, he can play as your third-pairing NHL D-man. I'm convinced of that. Having watched him like the a lot, not mm-hmm. last year, but the year before, he was the best defenseman down there, you know, yeah. overall. And and that included a lot of, that included like, you know, well, was he, was he better than Bear or Jones? He was close. Like he was a, he's a really, he was, you know, very, very, very good AHL player. So if the are in a pinch, they can call on him. But maybe it's going to be, maybe it's going to be this guy, uh, Madison Bowie. And, and hopefully um, we won't be haunted by the sweet tooth for former players that many GMs have. Right. What's your thought on the overall situation, Bruce, on the blue line? Well, I don't, I'm not happy with the depth situation really at all. Like, I mean, with Oscar Kleffbaum on the shelf and for planning 2021 purposes, uh, my base assumption is that he's out and he'll miss the whole season. And maybe he comes back late in the season and maybe he doesn't. Uh, but if he's out, uh, they brought in Tyson Berry, who's the one sort of uh, certainly solid enough replacement, although I don't see him as a first-pairing defenseman, as we might interpret uh, Clefbaum. Uh, and otherwise, they had a whole bunch of one-way traffic of guys leaving the organization, most importantly Matt Benning that you already mentioned, uh, but a few... Uh, a few depth guys down the food chain that they they didn't resign. I mean, Brandon Manning, as much as we're, you know, we would never bring him back, but they haven't replaced him with a similar player type within the organization of a guy that could come in and fill in for for a few games. Keegan Lowe, they didn't replace him. Uh, What they have is, without Clefbaum, they have four defensemen in the organization who've played 100 games in the NHL. They have six that have played as many as 10 games in the NHL. Then already, once you get past that six, you're down to William Lagesson with eight games, Evan Bouchard with seven games. And sure, they're decent, uh, promising prospects. 
And of course, the absolute wild card of Philip Broberg, who there's no telling whether he might make the team or not this year. It sounds like he's coming on pretty hard. Uh, but there's no sort of experienced depth signed to NHL class contracts at this point. And uh, all Holland did this when he signed is he went on his little spree there on the ninth and tenth. And he signed four forwards, two goalies, and one defenseman. So he replaced one of the several guys that were uh, leaving the organization. So I think definitely there's room for one, if not two, signings of of experienced guys, whether they be, you know, guys at the far end of the career that are hanging on that could be uh, fill-in players, or one of these 25-year-old guys, like you say, of guys that haven't quite caught on yet that. Uh, might have uh, might have some game who might yet still be improving and 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 growing into the rule i mean that my favorite that i've mentioned a couple times is slater cuckoo but there's uh, there's more guys of that ilk that are out there there's a oh, lot geez, of geez there's a ton of defensemen aren't there i'm just looking at the list here and you know they go from andy green sammy Votnin, and travis hamannick ron hainsey uh zadino chara mackenzie yeah. Weger. Now, some of these guys are pretty expensive, but yeah. um, some of them might not be as expensive. And, you know, Madison Bowie, how does he stack up? I'm not sure. Now, the Oilers have kind of run out of money too, right? Like yep. before, there, as it was um, the uh, on Twitter, he's, his name is Original Pozar, sent us Pozar sent us a note talking about how the Oilers really can't sign anyone else um, right now. They have to kind of wait till the season starts then they can sign someone to dip into the long-term injury replacement money for Clefbaum. It's kind of a weird cap situation, which I'm not really qualified to to uh, describe in detail. So they're they're a little bit hamstrung here, Bruce, unless they were making a trade for a defenseman, maybe move out a forward well, for a defenseman. Ultimately, though, when you're projecting the roster, uh, you're only, you know, you're not projecting every guy that you signed to an NHL contract. You're talking about 23 players. Well, right now they got 15 forwards, six defensemen, two goalies under contract. And if they went out and signed another defenseman, then maybe one of your forwards that's on your list doesn't make your team because you're not going to have a 25 or 26 man roster. You're going to have a 23 man roster. So maybe Patrick Russell doesn't make a team. And instead, you have uh, uh, some forward in there. So to be cap compliant, you send them to the minors. Potentially, to get their cap yeah. Off. So you so you yeah. send, let's say, you send Chase onto the minors, right? Like to get two million dollars off your books. Yeah, now, you'd have you'd you have to waive him. You'd have to waive. That's right. Him. The only guys you don't have to waive are the ones on entry level contracts. So, Kyler Yamamoto, for instance, they could paper transact him down for a day. Uh, just to become compliant and then call them right back up. But they don't actually have a lot of guys on entry-level contracts right now that are in the NHL. Yeah, so it would have to be so. Yama. But they could send down Juju or Kara to the minors, for instance, and for a day well, or two. And, and then when, when they do the, waivers, they could, yeah. Yeah, when they start access. Yeah, you, you're taking the risk of losing them on waivers. But I think they can yeah. do that with a couple players, obviously. You know, honestly, like, I don't think anyone's taking Juju or Kara on waivers. Like, sorry. Uh, it's not happening. At this I mean, point. the not simple thing, I mean, you could put James Neal on waivers and no one would touch the guy with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. But you now, could. then you've cleared too much cap space that when you try and put uh, Clef on, on LTIR, there's, you know, it, 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 it's such a complicated thing, as our lawyer friend, Original Pozar, said to us. 
And I've yet to hear a, a fully cogent explanation of long-term injury reserve that held together in my tiny brain from start to finish. There, there's sort of two ways of dealing with it, putting the guy on after the season starts or before the season starts. And if the guy's going to miss the whole year, it's simple enough. But if there's any chance he's going to come back during the year, you can have headaches galore. Uh, Bruce, I got to go in about... 10 minutes, five to 10 minutes here. So let's just quickly, sure. I'll just quickly run through some of the stuff about scary and if he contracts. Okay. Um, there's a lot of, it's funny because in oil country, there's a lot of people who go on and on and on about Chase on's contract or about Jujar Kara's contract or even Mike Smith this year or um, Chris Russell being the most obvious example. They're just on and on and on. And listen, I, I, I think there's just, you can make a case that all of these players are overpaid a bit and, mm-hmm. and maybe even as much as a million dollars, you know, per year for some of them, like maybe for Russell at this point, um, maybe, cap hit, yeah. yeah, in terms of their cap hit, right. Not in terms mm-hmm. of their take home pay. Um, you could, you know, Smith, maybe even, you know, or 500,000. But when you look at the deals that really kill a team and that's what I've been looking at, it's not even close to that. These, the, no. when you look at the deals that kill a team, it's it's pay, players that are overpaid five million dollars a year. Those for the are the contracts six years. for the next yeah. six years. So the Milan Lucic contract, right? He's overpaid. He yeah. almost was from day one. The first season, you could say he kind of came close to covering it. Since then, he has been overpaid five. He's been a replacement level player, overpaid five million dollars a year. So, and we're still living with that because James Neal, you might. James Neal might be a $2 million a year player now. Maybe. I don't know what he would. Like, mm-hmm. pre-COVID, probably, you could yeah. argue maybe two, $2 million a year. He's kind of... But we're still living with the Lucic contract. So some of the... So the wor- I'll just go through the worst ones. Just think if we were sidled with these contracts, Bruce. Jeff Skinner. He's got seven more years at a contract that pays I him $9 million per... Sergey Bobrovsky, six more years at a contract that pays him $10 million. Brent Seabrook, four more years at a contract that pays him $6.8 million. Justin Falk, seven more years at a contract that pays him $6.5 million. He's just starting that. And that Falk contract, frankly, is why they lost Alex Pietrangelo. I don't know what. Never made sense. Too. I don't know what Armstrong was thinking the day he made that deal and then the day they signed that contract a year ahead of time. There's the Louis Erickson. Then, then we run into the Louis Erickson, Milan Lucic class of contract. They're a little older. Then there's a couple that have come started to haunt their teams. P.K. Subban, $9 million a year. And he's got two more years on that, Bruce. And he is not the player that he was. And the same can be said. Well, there's Martin Jones. Um, he's got four more years on a deal that pays him. 5.7 million. There's Kessler, two more years on a deal that pays him 6.8 million. Uh, there is um, who else has fallen off the uh, the turnip truck? A guy like Kessler, at least he can be buried on LTIR. I think he's Franz, done. Franz Nielsen. Here's another Ken Holland. Uh, Ken Holland signed a few Whopper contracts in Detroit. He's got four more years on a deal that pays him $5.2 million. And he he's like a fourth line. He, he's a replacement level NHL player right now. So there's there's all of these contracts. And then there's the iffy contracts. This is what I'm going to be doing next. And these are the players that are kind of like, they're still good players in the NHL. They're just old and overpaid, generally speaking. Uh, not always old. Some of them are younger and, and have iffy contracts. But 
top of the list are the, there's the San Jose Three. Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, and Mark Edward Vlasic. San Jose, like so, so they're 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 probably thinking, oh, Carlson and Burns are going to rebound. They had off years last year, and Vlasic is is still a steady player. But these, they all Bruce Vlasic's paid seven million a year, Carlson eleven point five million, and Burns eight million a year, and they've all got multiple, many multiple years left on their deals. Twenty six so, million. And there are some younger players, Shane Gostisbehere, Vincent Trocek, Mike Matheson, Alex Debrinkit, Clayton Keller, uh, who all signed big deals. And who knows how that's going to work out for the teams that signed them. So that's Josh what I'm digging in. Anderson. Josh Anderson. So the owners have to um, miss out on that kind of contract going forward. Avoid it at all cost, costs, I think. And that, which is why I'm so fundamentally glad and I could be completely wrong about this. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Uh, but I am so glad they missed out on the Jacob Markstrom deal, which was rumored to be seven years at $5 million plus, apparently. Heard Darren Dreger talk about this. $5 million plus for Jacob Markstrom. Like, you can have him, Calgary, for six years, $6 million. Maybe, maybe he's going to be, for f- even four or five of those years, your number one goalie, just who he was this last year. A really good goalie in the NHL, no denying it. I may be worth it if he if he keeps that up for several years. Sure would be, but maybe not. Maybe not. You could say the same thing about Leonard. You know, I mean, he signed five years, five million in in Vegas, and you know, probably he covers the bet. But does he cover it three, four, five years down the line? He's a little younger. Like I, I, I like the. I honestly. You know, he's a couple of years younger, isn't he, than, than uh, Markstrom? Yeah, I think so. And it's a le- it's the cap hit is one year less on the term, I should say, and the cap hit is $1 million less. That's I think the letter contract was actually, like, especially for a free agent, that was a very team-friendly deal, I thought. And uh, I like the Leonard deal. Uh, and I just, it's just, it's just kind of in the upper end of what you want to play for pay for a player and still get good value out of him. So I think that one's defensible, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad they didn't get Markstrom. So. Yeah, well, well, Leonard's, Leonard's 29. Yeah. And Markstrom is 30, but almost 31. So almost two years yeah. between them. Anyway, the, compare any of those guys to the four Oiler contracts that you named earlier. Uh, every single one of those Oiler contracts expires in 2021. It's only got one year to run. And other than the Russell cap hit, uh, the other ones are all, you know, two million and less, basically. Like they're, they're, you know, look, those guys are well-paid veterans. I guess, or you know, decently paid veterans. But I'm, I'm not sure you can make a case that any of them is a truly horrible contract. Certainly nothing close to any of the other ones you've named in terms of the huge risk taken with uh, cap hit and term. Not to mention some of the various clauses and bonuses that protect. Some of those contracts. I mean, the one contract they always have that that is not good is the James Neal contract, and to me, that's essentially about two thirds of that. I would write off to dead cap space from the Lucic disaster. Yeah. So we'll, we're in a future podcast, and maybe even later this week, we'll we'll dig into the Oilers' kind of um, danger in terms of entering into these contracts in the near future, which is fairly minimal actually, uh, but it's it's. Yeah. They have they have a lot of cap room opening up next year, and they have the Ryan Nugent Hopkins deal um, to sign. So we'll we'll talk about uh, 
RNH's contract in that context and what, what makes sense for the Oilers and for, uh, well, for the Oilers, the player will be looking out for his own, you know, <laughs> own interest. All right, Bruce, I got to head on out. So uh, thanks right. for talking today. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.